You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hello and welcome to a two to the moon Tuesday edition of Crunch Time. Right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111 as we're broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. And here in Acadiana, don't forget you can watch us on the simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. A local Acadiana product is has entered the transfer portal, and he is getting a ton of attention. We'll talk about that. We'll look at the NBA playoffs. Rough night one for Joe Mazzula and company. We'll look at that as well. Plus, we'll talk about the Houston Astros and their win last night over the Giants. Preview the matchup tonight with Hunter Brown on the bump and much more. Bringing our co-host and producer now, Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Tuesday to you, sir. How are you? What's up, Matt? I'm doing all right. Good, good. So I I have to start by saying that I'm angry with myself. Why are you angry with yourself? Yesterday, on May the 1st, mm-hmm. I made zero reference to Justin Timberlake. Oh my god. Zero reference. How did I miss that opportunity? I'm glad you missed it. I had every opportunity to roast that dude year after year and I missed it. So, shame on me, I guess. We'll try again next year. But now it's May 2nd, so it's pointless now. Let's talk about Trey Amos. Trey Amos has entered his name into the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, He is a sophomore from New Iberia, went to Catholic High in New Iberia. And since entering the transfer portal, he has gotten a ton of traction. I mean, offers from Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Oregon, Auburn, Illinois. Ole Miss, LSU, Michigan State, Miami, Florida, Alabama. Every big name program in the country wants the services of Trey Amos. And why wouldn't you? He is a six foot one long bodied corner that is physical at the line. Makes plays on the football. Why wouldn't you want him? But James, I'm I'm going to speak on why I think. And look, I, I don't have any insider analysis. I don't, you know, this is just a guy that covers the team that sees what he sees. I don't know that this is the best move for Trey. I'm not too sure about it either because we've seen it with other guys that moved on to go to bigger programs like a Makai Gardner. 
It, 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 it going to LSU and how'd that work out for him? He went undrafted. undrafted. That was supposed to raise his stock. Meanwhile, to potentially be a day through day three, day two guy. Meanwhile, Daryl Luter out of South Alabama went in the fourth round. The thing that I always go back to, and it's a quote that I have heard from scouts, coaches, analysts, anybody in the business. If you are good, they will find you. It doesn't matter where you play. It used to matter. I don't think it matters as much anymore. If you are good, they are going to find you. Right, because I don't recall Wyoming being a super popular program. God, no! Nor North Dakota State. Well, well, eh. they win FCS national championships. They're they're relevant. They're known. But co- compared but, to a lot of other programs, are they near the top of the list? That's a that's a good point. I just got a message. Ask Eli Ricks how it worked out for him. Eli Ricks was at LSU. Was projected to be a first round pick. Transfers to Alabama. Struggles a little bit. Doesn't play as much as maybe he thought he would. Goes undrafted. I I get the idea of wanting to go play for a bigger school and to be on TV every Saturday and and to contend for a national championship. and, And all of that's great. It is. But at the end of the day... Is that your end goal? Because if that's your end goal, to play college football at a big-time SEC school and then never even think about the NFL, then that's one thing. But if your goal is to play on Sundays for 15 years, you have to be at a program that you're going to play at. And not just play at, start at and contribute at. Makai Garner learned that the hard way. It didn't work out for him. Eli Ricks learned that the hard way. It didn't work out for him. Now, am I saying that because it didn't work out for those two guys that it's not going to work out for Trey Amos? No, I'm not saying that. I don't know that. Trey Amos might go to some SEC school and get seven interceptions and be an absolute baller. I don't know. But from what I have seen in recent years, it just feels like this isn't the best move. But it's not my move to make. It's ultimately Trey's decision. Um, And and of course, you hope everything works out for him. But Florida's obviously in the mix with Billy Napier. Billy Napier recruited him to UL. LSU is obviously in the mix because they're right down the road. Alabama's in the mix because who doesn't want to go play for Nick Saban? And then you, you've got some other big-time schools sprinkled in there, like I mentioned, Ole Miss, Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Oregon, Miami, Michigan State. See, Michigan State's a program that I think he would find a lot of success at. 
I, I think that would be a program that he would work out really, really well in. Speaking of a local kid in Michigan State, Keon Coleman also entered the transfer portal last week. I could see Keon going to LSU. The reason that that is, why did he go to Michigan State in the first place? He went to Michigan State because he wanted to play both football and basketball. He wanted to play both. But he realized in basketball that he was, you know, the 10th man on the rotation, didn't really play a whole lot, and it was starting to hurt the way he played football. So he took a year to focus solely on football, and what happened? Led the Spartans in receptions, yards, and touchdowns. And now he's in the transfer portal getting a ton of attention from bigger schools like LSU, Alabama, and the likes when LSU didn't even offer him out of high school. They gave their last spot to Jack Besh. So now Keon's got the opportunity to come back to Baton Rouge and show them what he they missed out on the first time, what Ed Ogeron missed out on. And I think right now with the way LSU's receiving core is designed, he would fit in beautifully. He would become the number two receiver. It'd be him and league neighbors. Then you move Kyron Lacey over into the slot as the number three. Could you imagine that receiving core? Malik Neighbors, Keon Coleman, Kyron Lacey, and literally anybody else. That's one of the best receiving cores in the SEC, if not the best. So very interested to see how that's going to play out over the next couple of days because, look, spring practice just ended. Summer workouts are getting ready to get underway. Guys are going to have to make a decision pretty quickly. So, again, uh, we as soon as we hear something here, we will definitely fill you in on what we know. But, James, before we take our first time out, real quickly, the NBA. What the heck is going on in Beantown? Dude, are, are your Celtics not as good as we maybe thought they were? They have this thing that they like to do very often. Don't know why. They like to play with their food. They they like to just squander leads so often. And they couldn't guard a th- the three-point line to save their life last night. They shot really well. At the end of the first quarter, they were shooting 78%. They had made 17 out of their first 20 shots. Like They were shooting lights out. Yeah, I mean, you shot 59% from the field for the game. Right. But they just couldn't figure it out in that fourth quarter. At the end of the third quarter, it was tied. You felt like with how well they were shooting, oh, they must be blowing them out. No, because the 76ers were making just as many shots. The largest lead was 12 for the Celtics. But anytime they got to that point, right after, 76ers come right back and make it within two maybe three scores like right away like they would they they would go shot for shot and you're like well this game the Celtics should win it right because they're shooting phenomenal no the Philadelphia even without Joel Embiid which the paint was wide open for him all night they made 66 points in the paint 
which they really haven't done that much in a while because they just focus so much on shooting the mid-range from the elbow and hitting a lot of threes. They went for the paint last night because Joella was there, and that was the perfect opportunity to get an early one-game lead in the series since Joel could be back for game two, maybe game three. But no, they squandered it. I'll tell you the two statistics where it went wrong for Boston. And this is coming from a guy that didn't watch the game. I saw the highlights. And then I'm looking at the stat breakdown. This is where I tell you, I'll tell you where the game went wrong for Boston. You can tell me if you agree with me or not. Ten steals to three in favor of Philly. Yeah, and then Brogdon at the end trying to give it to Jason Tatum as time was expiring. That that contributed to it. And that was that was the whole momentum shift. As soon as that happened, I was like, yeah, that's and then, that's game. And then Philly had eight less turnovers than Boston. Right. To me, looking at it on paper, that's where it went wrong for Boston. You didn't take care of the basketball. You were you were way too sloppy with it. And Philly capitalized on it. Yeah, there were quite a few times where there were some goofy turnovers by the Celtics that Philly was able to capitalize on and keep themselves in the game. Obviously, it was game one. You know, it, it is what it is. But the fact that Philly beat you without Embiid on your home court should be incredibly concerning. It's a completely missed opportunity. That should be incredibly concerning. I don't want to say it was. A, it should have been a gimme. But that's a game you should have won. That's the perfect opportunity when you look at your opponent. They're down their best guy. So you should be able to take care of business on your home court. And prove why you were the higher seed the whole season. Oof. But no. And Oof. it's to the Sixers that you've had their number for. For years now. For years. And you let that go. Yikes. Well, there's reasons to seven game series. If it was one and done, that would be real unfortunate. Right. If this so, was if this was football, you'd be like, well, so much for that. Right. That well, that was fun while it lasted. Not really. <laughs> 416 on your Tuesday. We'll take a timeout and we return. Here from Matt Deggs and Jerry Glasgow about this past week and what's to come. Plus, at 4:30, Mike Triplett is gonna join us to talk all things Saints draft right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app and it is now your one-stop shop for all things Southwest Louisiana sports station. Download the free mobile app today for your Apple or Android device by searching the game Southwest Louisiana. That way, no matter where you are, you can listen to the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Welcome back. 421 on your Tuesday. Matt Miguez, James Mash. Give us a call on the game hotline 337-706-0111. Yesterday, Jerry Glasgow and Matt Deggs met with the media to talk about the week that has just passed and the week that is to come. And Matt Deggs said that this team now has to focus on winning one game at a time. 
Well, I think Nezu's going to give us our best shot on Friday night. And, uh, you know, depending – we're in a situation, Kev, where we need to win one game at a time. And so all hands on deck, kind of like a tournament, right? We'll do whatever it takes to win that one game. And uh, just with some of the injuries that we have and whatnot, I think that's the way to go about it. And, and the stuff I saw Nezu feature for a second outing of the week uh, was the best stuff I've seen out of one of our guys this year. He also talked about, you know, looking at games where you beat top-ranked LSU, you beat sixth-ranked Coastal Carolina, you really should have won the series. Some people would argue that you could have swept that series against Coastal if you don't give up seven runs in the seventh on Saturday. But Matt Deggs' mindset now is that the last couple of games have shown that this team can play with anybody. Well, it starts with pitching, right? And you're only as good as your next day starter. And so I felt pretty good going into Friday uh, with Jackson. Uh, what we what we haven't done a ton of, and you saw some of it against Northwestern State and a few other games, we haven't done a ton. Yeah, maybe you probably couldn't even count or you count it on one hand where we've combined pitching, defense, and a great offense on the same day. And uh, I know we've had a couple of five, six-game streaks, but even then, you know, some of it's a struggle uh, on one side or the other. And so uh, you just continue to work and uh, continue to – look, we're in a, a really uh, – this team's being really tested right now with, with – and it's a test of toughness, you know. And most, most common people quit for the best part, and I just don't think that that's this team. And uh, you'll never know when an eight, nine, ten game win streak's right around the corner if you stop. And so we'll embrace the challenge and, and uh, regroup. Yeah, it was, hey, it was a bitter defeat. I can argue we could have swept this weekend. I really can. Uh, Saturday was freebies, 10 free passes with no outs. I mean, you couple that with uh, eight, nine, ten hits uh, by those guys, and, and you're going to be on that side of the score. Uh, take that away, and it's a tight game. Uh, you know, Ball could have very easily been popped up, and and we're sitting here talking about well, we just took two out of three from from you know six rated team in the country. We've shown we can play with anybody, and we've also shown we can play with anybody. Continuing that, Matt Degg said that going forward, especially with this weekend on the road at ULM, a team that has given up twenty five runs and thirty five runs respectively in two different games over the last couple of weeks. This team cannot overlook anybody. I would certainly uh, – I wouldn't expect that out of our group. Uh, they're hungry to play great baseball. Uh, nobody's worked harder. Nobody cares as much or put in more time than these guys have. And uh, sometimes I think that can have the re reverse effect on us. We want it too bad or try too hard at times, uh, especially some of those two outrunner and scoring position positions uh, that we find ourselves in. Uh, but like I told you this morning, we've proven that we can beat anybody in the country. We've proven we can lose to anybody in the country. What we've got to do is find that, that – good wave and ride that thing to the finish line and, and see how hot we can get at the end. James, looking at the final, you know, month of, of the season, seven games at on the road, only three more at home. In those final ten, is it realistic to say that the Cajuns go seven and three? 
Would that be realistic to say? Three games against ULM, you've got a midweek game against Tech, three games at home against Texas State, and then three games on the road uh, against Southern Miss. Three conference series left. I think you got to win two of them, sweeping ULM in the process. Right, that's the biggest focus for this weekend. And currently is to, to get through ULM, and like Coach mentioned, you can't overlook them. Is, you, ha- is it, you have to take control of this. I think if you can get two out of three over side of the miss, it's going to be huge. So sweep ULM, win the midweek game against Tech, that's four. Mm-hmm. So then over the final six games, you need three more wins. Right? So, you know, say say you, you, you catch fire at home and, and you sweep Texas State as well. So now you've won seven straight games. I think you win one against Southern Miss, you're in good shape. Yeah. But like we talked about yesterday, this conference is so log-jammed right now that, I mean, the regular season title isn't out of the question for the Cajuns. They will need some help. They, they, can't, they can't clinch it on their own. But I, I don't think that winning the regular season title is – completely off the table for this team because you look at it Coastal Carolina is 15 and 6 Southern Miss is 14 and 7 Georgia Southern is 13 and 8 Texas State is 12 and 9 App State is 11 and 9 and then you have 1 2 3 4 5 teams that all have a conference record of 11 and 10 Troy Old Dominion Louisiana Georgia State and South Alabama Now like we mentioned Six of your final ten games are against teams in the top four. If you can catch fire in the month of May and make some magic happen, I mean, look, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. Now, again, like I said, you're going to need a lot of help. I mean, Coastal's going to have to drop three or four games over the last month in, in the conference. Not overall in the conference. But now I think the goal for the Cajuns is just positioning yourself in the best possible scenario for the Sun Belt Tournament. Because if you look at it, if you're in the top six, you won't play until Wednesday at the earliest. You would play Wednesday. And then you would play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday. So that's the goal, right? Because if, you, if you're not in the top six, you have to play in the single elimination games on Tuesday. And that would put you playing six games in five days. That's brutal. That is absolutely brutal. So... Get in the top six, avoid that first round altogether, and then take it one game at a time from there. If you can figure out pitching, I think the offense is good enough to win you another conference title. But you have to figure out the pitching. From starting pitching to relief to the closer, everything has to improve. It just does. 
I mean, Blake Marshall started the year red hot as a closer, and he's kind of teetered off a little bit. David Christie as a reliever, he has games where he's lights out, and then he has games where, to be honest, you don't want to throw him more than five pitches. It all has to be better. And right now is a perfect opportunity to do it because, like I mentioned, you have 10 games left in the regular season, and then you get into the conference tournament in Montgomery. So now is the time for the Louisiana Rage of Cajuns to figure it out. Let's take a time out here on Crunch Time, 4.30 on your Tuesday. Mike Triplett of New Orleans.Football joins us next. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 434. Matt Miguez here. James Mesh on the other side of the glass here inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Give us a call on the game hotline 337-706-0111. Let's talk about the New Orleans Saints, their draft, their UDFAs, and where they kind of go from here as you head into the offseason with OTAs and mini camps looming looming. Mike Triplett of NewOrleans.Football joins us on the game hotline. Mike, really appreciate you taking the time, man. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the draft over the weekend. You know, Brian Brissy, Isaiah Foskey, Kendra Miller, A.T. Perry, Nick Salvaderi, just a couple of names that the Saints were able to select in the draft. Let's start with Brian Brissy, Thursday night, first-round pick at number 29, what about his game is going to fit very well with the New Orleans Saints? Well, I mean, it really feels like the perfect pick. We, we've been saying, even before free agency started and even before they let David Onyemata go to the Falcons, that that an upgrade at that three-technique tackle spot um, was an absolute must. I, and I had it as the number one need on the team. Um, they signed Colin Saunders and Nathan Shepard in free agency but that's a position where they do a lot of rotating, and they were they were down a body. And, and now I think Brzee has the upside to, to be sort of the leader of that rotation. Um, if he himself is not the one getting to the quarterback, I still think he can get to the pass push by, by creating a push and, and getting the quarterback out to the ends. Um, you know, I've mentioned this a couple of times. I remember when Sheldon Rankins had his best season with the Saints, uh, his teammates would call him Chris Paul because he was dishing out assists to him. Um, and and that's what they needed so badly. Uh, I was getting kind of concerned at how thin this defensive line was and, and where they were going to replace the guys uh, uh, that they let go in free agency, and so that, that felt like a must early in the draft. So to find someone they liked in the first round was huge, and, and look, he's missed some time because of injuries and, and a strange kidney infection last year and stuff, uh, but if you look back to how he started his career and how polished he was right from the get-go as as like you know the the defensive rookie of the year in the entire ECC and the number one recruit in the country and stuff, I think he's a guy who could potentially step in and help early. Yeah, Brissy's a guy that had to overcome a lot. You mentioned the kidney infection, also the tragic passing of his sister last year. Then then you go to the second round and you look at a guy like Isaiah Foskey, the D, the edge rusher out of Notre Dame, and 
I really like this pick because he's got a quick first step. He's physical and uh, honestly reminds me a lot of, of Cam Jordan. Can can he be Cam Jordan's heir apparent? Well, obviously the Saints have a type, um, and they like their defensive ends to be big with long arms, to be as effective against the run as they are as pass rushers, um, and he fits that mold. I mean, it's the same mold that brought them. You're, you're very optimistic to say it reminds you of Cam Jordan, and the pessimists would say it reminds them of Peyton Turner and, and Marcus Davenport. Uh, but, you know, throw Tano Passanione in there too and Carl Granderson to an extent. That's what the Saints want out of their defensive ends, and, and they found another one uh, to carry that on. Yeah, I mean, they needed somebody to keep refilling the tank. with. with. One of these days, Cam Jordan might eventually slow down, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you would like to think so, but then again, he might just be superhuman, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, you go into the third round and this is where things really started to get interesting with new orleans at 71 they select kendra miller out of tcu a physical running back that has nice speed when he gets into the second level what do you like about kendra's game and how can he complement both alvin Kamara and jamal williams yeah, look, uh, um, Nick and I at New Orleans on football had both been saying in mock drafts and podcasts and stories leading up to the draft that it just felt like a borderline must for them to take advantage of the value that is there in the draft in the middle rounds. I think that's true every year. I really saw it when I looked at this class and, and, and the options. It could have been him. It could have been Taji Spears from Tulane. It could have been Devon A-Chain. It could have, you know, there's so Roshan Johnson. Uh, Tank Bigsby, there were just there was just collection of guys in the third round, and history tells us those guys that you take in the third and the fourth rounds can become legitimate number one running backs in in the NFL. Uh, it's a young man's position. Both Alvin Kamara and Jamal Williams are are going to be 28 by the time the season starts. Obviously, we know there's a potential suspension looming for Alvin Kamara, so I think I think they needed somebody who could help that rotation early and then be ready to to be the number one guy. Um, in the very near future. So uh, that just felt like the right position to tackle. Now, early on, I think he's going to be more of a first and second down back. That's what they asked him to do at TCU. He did not catch a lot of passes there. It doesn't mean he can't do it, especially screen passes. Uh, but if him and Jamal Williams can, can do a lot of that between the tackle stuff and it frees Alvin Kamara up uh, to have them use him a little more creatively, that's something that's been missing in this offense as well. Chatting with Mike Triplett from New Orleans dot football. Now you go to Saturday and you made a trade before the draft even started. Mickey Loomis said, Okay, I played nice Thursday and Friday. Now it's time to make some moves. Yeah, uh and and that was they kind of went right down the line. Um we had a, a pretty distinct top five, top seven uh positions of need, and they hit <laughs> What I ranked as the number one need in round one, what I ranked as the number two need in round two, uh, and, and then in rounds three and four, two more top five needs on, on my list. Um, and, look, it's pretty similar to what we just said at running back. He, he doesn't necessarily have to start at guard right away. They have Andrus Pete and Cesar Ruiz penciled in as the two starting guards. But both of those guys have just one year left on their contract. Both of those guys are dealing with injuries. Um, and both of those guys are – could get pushed if, if he comes in and, and he lights it up as a rookie. So it felt really important 
long term as much as as short term. And and obviously they like the guy they got. I thought it was really interesting. They said they felt like there was going to be a run on offensive linemen, and he was their clear favorite. And that's why they traded up. And sure enough, 10 of the first 20 picks on Saturday were offensive linemen. So they were right about that part. Now, you know, you you brought up Andrews Pete and Cesar Ruiz both being on the final years of their deal yesterday. The Saints declined the fifth-year option on Ruiz. Out of those two, which one do you think, if one, if only one of them stays with the team, yeah. which one do you think that it is? And what went into the thought process of declining that fifth-year option for Ruiz? Yeah, look, I still think Ruiz is probably a big part of the team's future. Uh, they like him, and, and, and he had by far his best year before the foot injury in the final game right. this last season. I was not surprised they didn't pick up the fifth-year option, though. That would have been over $14 million, and that is very high for a guard. So he would have had to have been really elite for them to pick up that fifth-year option. I still think I wouldn't be surprised at all if they even get it done this offseason or certainly next offseason, a long-term extension with him at just a more affordable price. But Andrews Pete, on the other hand, it really does feel like he's set up to be in the last year of his contract. He actually had multiple years left on his contract, and when they renegotiated a, a uh, pay increase uh, uh, for him, or pay decrease for him, pay reduction for him this year, uh, they, they also changed the length of the deal to make him be a free agent after this season. So uh, it really feels like, you know, I mean, obviously stranger things have happened. They could sign another one-year deal with him again next year or whatever, but it is currently set up for this to be the last year on his deal. Now, later in the fourth round, they traded back into the fourth round and took Jake Hayner, the quarterback, out of Fresno State. Now, when you look at the guy's numbers, 9,000 career passing yards, 68 touchdowns, only 18 interceptions, and has a completion percentage in his career of 68%. I mean, and look, I know he wears number nine, but come on, those are are Drew Brees-esque numbers. I mean, everything is Drew Brees-esque except for the fact that Drew Brees is a unicorn and there's no <laughs> nobody like him. I mean, I suppose Russell Wilson falls in that category too, but even Russell Wilson doesn't play the game the same way where he just does it with that kind of vision, that kind of presence, that kind of anticipation, uh, that kind of timing, that kind of rhythm. All the things you have to do if you're going to be a six-foot quarterback and succeed, but those are all the things Jake Hayner has done, and it's not a coincidence. He told us uh, and he showed pictures later on social media. He was wearing uh, Saints jerseys to school in first and second grade, wearing Saints beanies, uh, um, and, and he was a fan because he knew he was going to be a short quarterback, and, and Drew Brees was the ultimate short quarterback. And, um, you know, he he knows that, you know, that's how you have to thrive at the position. He's done a great job of it. Um, so, uh, obviously, Nobody expects Drew Brees like uh, uh, peak from him, but the style, sure, and we know that style fits this offense. Now, in the fifth round, you took Jordan Howden, a safety out of Minnesota. I've seen a lot of people compare him to Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on that comp, and what do you like about Howden's game? Well, there's another unicorn <laughs> for different reasons. I mean, uh, C.J. Gardner Johnson obviously is is a really unique uh, uh, player, especially when it comes to um, the way he approaches a game and his, you know, his fiery attitude and stuff on that. But, but yeah, the one thing they do definitely have in common is versatility. Um, and I think that's key. When you aren't penciled in as a starting strong safety or the starting free safety, it's nice. You're 
able to swing between both safety positions, if you're able to move inside the slot um, when needed, it, you know, if you're going to get on the field in dime defense when there's six defensive backs on the field, that you can move around uh, uh, to a variety of positions. And so I do think that's that's one of the things that definitely stands out with him. And then one of the steals of the draft, in my opinion, you get a third-round graded receiver in the sixth round with A.T. Perry at pick number 195. Six foot three, 195 pounds, holds the Wake Forest record for 28 touchdowns in a career. Uh, you know, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a Saints legend that he's been compared to, very Marcus Colston like. Well, the numbers are, uh, you know, you can't ignore the production in college. I mean, the one thing that I see with him is the height is there. Uh, the physicality is going to have to come along too if if he's going to survive in the middle of the field where. Where Marcus, where Marcus Colston thrived, where Jimmy Graham thrived, uh, um, where Michael Thomas has thrived, and and that is what the Saints need. That's what they made it clear they want out of their receiving core and their tight end position. Is is you know he is uh, Perry is really good at contested catches, but I think more so down the field, high pointing the ball, going up and getting it, which is great. But you also want to know that he's going to be able to push his way open uh, in traffic, and I think that's the, the evolution that's going to have to come along with his game uh, to to see if he can earn a real important role on this offense. But yeah, if you told me they took him at the end of the third round instead of the sixth round, I wouldn't have been surprised when when you see uh, his size, his dimensions, and the production he had in college. Now, looking at the UDFAs, there were eleven. UDFAs that were signed following the conclusion of the draft. Which ones stand out to you? Yeah, I look at the positions then that they didn't address. I mean, I think uh, the tight end they signed, the linebackers they signed have really good chance to uh, to make this team because um, uh, not only did we think they needed to draft a tight end, by the end of the draft they, they lost one uh, when they traded away Adam Troutman. Um, I, I, that's a position I wouldn't be surprised to see them actually add another veteran uh, pretty soon when, when sometimes uh, teams will sign veterans in early May when they don't count against the compact formula or they'll bring them in for tryouts at rookie minicamp, which is in a week and a half now, and, and, and get signed if they look good on the field at rookie minicamp. I, I definitely think there's more to be done at the tight end position. The linebackers, uh, look, one of them's from right here, Tulane, Nick Anderson. Uh, but another one that, that stands out to me is uh, – uh, Anthony Orgy, uh, because uh, they paid him a lot of money too, uh, and and you know also could play special teams. Uh, another one that stood out to me though that they paid a lot of money to was an offensive lineman from Arkansas Pine Bluff, the same place where they got uh, uh, Teron Armstead. That's uh, Mark Evans, I believe, is his name. Uh, a guy who could also move inside the guard. So you can't bat against the Saints' track record from drafting from <laughs> offensive lineman from Arkansas Pine Bluff. Mike Triplett of New Orleans Football joining us here on the Game Hotline. Mike, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, OTAs and minicamp getting ready to fire up, and uh, hope you enjoy it. And uh, we'll have you on again soon. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And there he goes, Mike Triplett of New Orleans Football. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time. We'll wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the Game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. 
Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, flat screen TV from API, and more. It's the Ultimate Man Cave Makeover, powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite, and The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time, wrapping up hour number one here from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day on both Twitter and Facebook if you haven't already, and go give a comment. Looking at it, how concerned are you with the Astros' pitching injuries? Not worried there's so much depth? Are you slightly concerned? It's fairly alarming? Or do you think, Oh, dear God, the season is over. Right now, mainly people are leaning towards slightly concerned at about 35%. 22% is going towards not worried. There's so much depth. 20% says it's fairly alarming. And then the other 22% are freaking out. It's concerning. It is a little bit. It's concerning. Um, But am I sitting here like Chicken Little saying, oh, God, the sky is falling? Right. No. No, I'm no. I'm not worried about it. Now, looking at the NBA playoffs. Right. Had a couple of games right. last night. We mentioned it earlier. 76ers come back and beat the Boston Celtics 119 to 115. You saw what kind of felt like the rebirth almost of the Houston Rockets version of James Harden. Him going for 45, just shooting absolutely lights out, going 17 of 30. It was insane. Jason Tatum had himself a great night himself. Looking at that last shot, though, that just about sealed it, that gave the Sixers just about all the momentum. Al Horford, to me, in that case, he should not be on the court. I think it needs to be Rob. Because Rob, even though he's slightly smaller, he's a lot younger. He can jump a lot higher. So I feel like if you're going to put a big out there, I would want Rob over Al in a crunch time moment. Ha ha. Ha ha. I see what you did there. Yeah, it was great. But with Al, if it's a big moment like that, and you know there's the potential of them trying to switch Al Horford onto James Harden, and you know Al's not going to be able to keep up with James, I would rather you go with the young, more agile guy that can also jump a lot higher and potentially contest the ball. So if you're going to go with a big, I would rather you go with Rob Williams. I don't disagree with that. I think, though, that Al Horford just brings you that level of veteran experience in in a game like this that sometimes you need. So I get playing both of them, but I do, I, I do agree with you that you should probably lean more towards Rob Williams for the younger athletic ability. Right, in a big-time moment like that. And then Suns now take the 2-0 lead over the Suns. Chris Paul got injured kind of late in the game, gave Denver the opportunity to take the lead, and they ended up winning 97-87. to Nikola Jokic dropping 39 compared to Denver. Devin Booker's 35. And then looking at tonight, we got the Heat 
versus the Knicks game one. Uh-huh. That was going to be an exciting one. And then late tonight at 9, oof, it's going to be the Lakers and the Warriors. LeBron, who you thought earlier was still in the East. I didn't... I didn't really. Th- I, I knew that he played for the Lakers, right? But like, when I I read a headline about LeBron excited to renew rivalry with Curry, I was like, "Wait, it's not the NBA Finals. This isn't uh, this isn't Cavs Warriors." And I was like, "Oh wait, dummy, <laughs> he plays for the Lakers." Yeah, since there's no really not too many midweek games. I mean, you got LSU tonight, which you can listen yep. to here on the game. Absolutely, pregame at six o'clock. Yep. First pitch set for 6.30 from Hammond, America. Outside of that, you got Heat Knicks at 6.30, yep. and then at 9, Lakers Miami, Warriors. So Miami, you got some nice playoff action. Miami looking to take a 2-0 lead in that series. Or game 2. Game 1 between the Lakers and Warriors at 9 o'clock tonight. Meanwhile, the Astros at 7.10. You can hear that one over on News Talk 98.5 with Astro launch beginning at 640. That's going to do it for hour number one. Come back for hour number two. We're going to go to the moon talking all things Houston Astros right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Our number two of crunch time is here on the game. Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 or Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. We are broadcasting live from the EVCO Development Studios. Here in Upper Lafayette, EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Looking at some top stories in sports, ex-Raider Henry Ruggs has decided to plead guilty in a fatal DUI case stemming back to 2021 where he hit speeds of 156 miles an hour in downtown Las Vegas. Um, and killed a 23-year-old woman. He is now, with the plea deal that he is taking, he is now looking at 3 to 10 years behind bars in a state penitentiary. Um, Be interesting to see if his NFL career maybe continues after that or, you know, how things play out. But uh, obviously a very tragic situation in any way you look at it. with with that accident, but then you, you move on and you go to the NBA. James, the Memphis Grizzlies have decided to tell Dylan Brooks to kick rocks. Yeah, they have decided that they will not re-sign Dylan Brooks under and and they put that in quotations under, under any circumstances under. Any circumstances. So what Memphis is telling him is, I do not care. I could get fired for not re-signing you, and I will not do it. Yikes! That's got to sting. It it has not been a great last couple of months for Dylan Brooks. Yikes! And the Memphis Grizzlies, because 
if you recall, Draymond Green basically had told it to his face during a game when the Warriors were playing the Grizzlies and said, if the Grizzlies, basically saying, if the Grizzlies were to have a dynasty, it'll start after you leave. Oof. That's brutal. Uh, I mean, just a yikes. That hurts. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain has decided to suspend Lionel Messi for two weeks after he missed training to go on an unauthorized trip to Saudi Arabia. He will be suspended for those two weeks, cannot practice or play with the team, and will forego his salary for those two weeks. Boo freaking who? When you have as much money as Lionel Messi has, you think you're going to miss two weeks' salary? Probably not. Let's go to the game hotline now. Frank, what's up? Uh, not too much, boys. I apologize for not calling. I've been working harder than Joe Biden's prescription meds. But look here. I've been talking to everybody uh, around the water cooler and whatnot, and everybody's kind of on the fence about their, their number one pick at number 29. And I, I, I can't say they're wrong. Uh, they spent three months in the offseason getting rid of a player who was constantly injured, and they drafted a guy who who's constantly injured. And the one optimist that I talked to said, oh, he's got a great upside. Well, the report on Davenport was, oh, yeah, but he's got the wingspan of a car, and it's got a great upside. But he never saw the field. So, I mean, one of y'all better talk me into it because uh, I think it was James that gave him a B plus on the draft. I'm I'm trying to give him a B minus, but I just don't like their first round pick. Uh, maybe I'm a pessimist at heart. I don't know, but I think they they could have. I think they could have done better. Well, no, I gave it I gave it a B plus for the overall draft, not just for 29. I, I kind of agree with you. I'm a little worried about the injury history as well. However, it's a lot of kind of like weird stuff. Now, he had the ACL tear, which is kind of consistent with guys, but he had the weird strep throat that eventually took him out for a couple weeks because it also got into his kidneys. So it was like, it was weird stuff like that. And then his he had to miss two weeks because his sister had cancer and eventually passed early on in that season. So it was like, there's a lot of weird stuff. It's not like it's a consistent hamstring or a knee it's like it's different stuff that pops up out of nowhere and i don't know if that's just a bad string of luck or if that's just a sign of things to come that we've seen with the other defensive players on the line that they've drafted recently well i'm i'm, I'm hoping it pans out but you know every player coming out of college you always got a great upside it's fantastic upside and then you know the saints always seem to get I, i'm not gonna cuss but you know they they always seem to get it so, look, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Frank. I was not a fan of the Brissy trade when it first went down. But now that I've had time to reflect on it and really look into it, I'm actually a big fan of it. Uh, I mean, like James mentioned, he's had to overcome a lot of just odd circumstances from an injury side of things. And then obviously the tragic situation with his sister last year. Um, he's a guy that does a great job of getting through the line, making it rough on quarterbacks. I mean, you look at his freshman numbers, the one year that he really didn't run into any issues. He had 23 tackles, four sacks, and he forced a fumble. 
from the nose tackle spot. I mean, that's pretty impressive numbers. Okay, well, here comes the crap half of the conversation. If he does well, just like Trey Hendrickson, uh, what do the Saints do? You got to pay him. Okay, just like Trey Hendrickson wanted to get paid $60 million. Oh, we got to ship him off. See, that, that's, where, that's where the Saints fan in me and the Saints organization side of it, they clash. Because Trey Hendrickson, if you all remember, had a fantastic rookie mm-hmm. year. And the dude wanted to get paid. New Orleans didn't want to pay him. Now he's blowing stuff up. So, you know, it, it makes, sometimes New Orleans, the organization, makes it hard to be a Saints fan. Oh, I, I, I agree with you 100%. Because um, I was one of the biggest critics of the organization when they decided to not pay Trey Hendrickson. Yeah, but I, paid him I, don't in a remember if it was, I don't remember if it was you or, or, or maybe a guest host that I talked to about it, and we were arguing about sack numbers. I, I think Trey Hendrickson had more sacks his rookie season than than uh, Cam Jordan, and yet they still refused to sign him, and they let him go, and he's still just – he's a beast. So, like I said, it's, it's the organization, and then all this tags along to – the training staff and all the crap going on with Michael Thomas, you know, it, okay. Where do we draw the line? I mean, are, are, are we going to get a better training staff or, or what's going on? You know? So it, it's like one thing falls after the other. So I fact checked you. He actually did have more sacks than cam Jordan's rookie year. Cam Jordan finished. his oh. He finished his rookie year with one sack. Hendrickson had two sacks in his rookie season. So, and the first two years, fact check the first two years. That'll even blow your mind. Well, actually, first two years, Cam blows him out of the water with nine sacks to two. Well, look at what he's doing in Cincinnati. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, he's, he's a beast. The dude's playing with a broken hand, and he's still getting to the quarterback. I mean, the dude's a freakish athlete. But anyway... This, this, it's, it's all mud in the water. But I'm just saying, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant. I, I, I hope it pans out. I really do because the Saints' heart in me wants it to work. But man, I, I smell a lemon. Yeah, I, I hope, I hope it works out. Like, like you said, because the, the Saints could really use some help on, on that offensive line. I mean, on that defensive line. Frank, really appreciate the call, man. All right, boys, y'all be good. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. Um, that that's the thing with the draft. You you hedge, you hedge your future in that position on a rookie, and hope that they stay healthy and hope that it works out. And there there's a whole lot of hoping going on. And uh, I, look, Brissie, if you watch the tape, he's a freak athlete. He gets to the quarterback. He disrupts the the opposing offenses. He does a lot of things well. His biggest concern is can he stay on the field? Let's go back to the game hotline now. David, what's going on? Oh, not much in you guys. Oh. Uh, just a couple of quick things. Um, the guy that he was talking about in reference to Cam Jordan doing the comparison, you know, it could be just a matter of a different scheme that he works better in the scheme in Cincinnati than he did with the Saints. You know, it happens. Um, now, Dylan Brooks. He's good enough to play in the NBA. That's a given. 
so what team does he end up with that is willing to put up with his, you know, his mouth writing checks that is, you know, you know what can't cover? That's the million dollar question. Um, cause, 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 I, cause I'll tell you this, if I'm the general manager, I, I don't give a damn what he can do on the court. Yeah. And, and, and that may be case, the case with some, but not all that. No, I, again, I, I agree. We know he's good enough to play in the league. That's a given that there's no if, ands or buts about it. Um, if he would tone it down a little bit. And you got some mouthy players. That's a given. You know, it's it's basketball. You have it in football, just about every sport. But his went a little bit too far in poking the bear. <laughs> right, right. No, you're 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 absolutely right. Um, he'll he'll land somewhere. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the the question is going to be, like you said, who, who's willing to put up with it? Now I've got a question for you. Yeah. Now, how much time does one have as a sports fan that every time they call a sports talk show that they have to kind of interject politics into the sports talk show ah uh, that that's a slippery slope my man <laughs> that's that's a slippery slope my man you know what i'm talking about you you, you must have a real uh, people like that must have real lonely lives uh, I, i'm again david i'm not going to get into that man i appreciate the call though have a good one now one thing that's interesting, though, is when you look at Trey Hendrickson's numbers, I like what he said about maybe Trey Hendrickson just fits the scheme better in Cincinnati than he did in New Orleans. I'm here to remind you that in 2020, his last year with the Saints, he had 13 and a half sacks. That's almost a sack a game, folks. Now, I understand not wanting to pay a guy off of one really good season. I get it. But why not sign him to a one-year deal at the salary that he was asking for? Because he got a four-year, $60 million deal, or five-year, $60 million deal from Cincinnati. Why not sign him to a one-year deal worth twelve? Say, look, Trey, do it again. If you do it again, then we'll give you the long-term deal. But right now, we want to see you do it again. I guarantee you, Trey Hendrickson would have taken it. The salary's the same. All they're worried about is how much money you're making. He would have taken it, and he would have done similar to what he did in Cincinnati in 2021, which was 14 sacks. He backed it up. Please, if you were the New Orleans Saints... Do not make the same mistake again if Brian Brissy works out. Don't make that mistake again. Because you had a guy in Trey Hendrickson who consistently got better in your organization. And you didn't pay him. You didn't pay him. And now, what's the problem? You have, outside of Cam Jordan... You don't have any good edge rushers. You don't. You put all your eggs in the basket of a kid that nobody had heard of out of UTSA that didn't work out for you. Then you drafted a kid out of Houston that, once again, very few people knew about that has yet to work out for you. 
The Saints have made some bad decisions recently. Now, granted, they've made some really good ones, but the bad ones are looming very large right now on that defensive line. Do not screw this one up with Brian Brissy. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. We return. We'll preview LSU versus Southeastern from Hammond America tonight that you can hear right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner but you're low on cash, don't worry. The game clubhouse can help with your date night blues. Join the rewards club to score Excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen with both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. However, you can only score these great prizes by joining the Game Clubhouse, which you can do at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 521. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. James, tonight, LSU Southeastern. You can hear it on the game. Once again, pregame set for 6. First pitch set for 6.30. What are your expectations tonight in a game where... I'm not going to say that it doesn't matter what the result is because you can't afford to drop games against much lower RPI teams. However, in the same result, you saw it last week. You lost a midweek game to Nichols. You turned around and you swept Alabama. It didn't really matter. Right. You lost to the Cages two weeks ago as well. So you've lost the last two midweek games. I don't want to say it doesn't matter. And, it's, and not, it's not that it's not important, but both, it just doesn't matter as much to them. Right after both of those midweek losses, you got SEC sweeps. And Correct. nothing mattered. No one batted an eye to it. Right. But I feel like you just want to win one of them, huh? Like, it's not that you want to purposely lose every single one of them, but you got to win this one. I mean, if you look at Southeastern, and typically Matt Reiser has a solid baseball program over there in Hammond. They're not very good this year. They're 19-21. and 21. They're 4-11 and 11 in the conference. They are on a three-game losing streak right now, and they have a 500 record at home. So, if you're LSU, you've got to be looking at this going, man, if we can win, if we can get the offense going just a little bit, you're going to run away with this. Now, one thing that I will give Southeastern credit for is earlier in the season, they went over to Auburn and took two out of three. They won the series against Auburn. So that's impressive. That's helping their resume. But man, once you got into Southland Conference play, you have struggled. You won your opening series. You lost to Incarnate Word. You got swept by a not very good UNO team. You dropped two out of three to McNeese. You got swept by Lamar. And now here you are. 
You got swept it by Lamar at home, might I add. Conference sweep at home. So now that, you know what that tells me? The Southeastern team is not only going to be ready, but they're going to be angry. Which kind of hurts LSU. But again, get pitching right because they that's where they've struggled in the midweek is with pitching. Your offense is going to be there. Dylan Cruz was the SEC player of the week again. Tommy White is still doing Tommy White things. Your offense is going to be there. But in the midweek, you have struggled mightily with pitching. And that's got to be better. It just has to be better because there's going to come a point where you are going to have a game where, and and I've said this multiple times about the Cajuns this year, there's going to be a game where the offense doesn't show up and pitching is going to have to win it for you. And if your pitching is not consistently there, it's not going to be able to win it for you. So that's what LSU's got to figure out. Because I hate to sound pessimistic, but James, the inconsistency of their pitching kind of has me questioning if they can win a national championship. You need pitching to win a national title. You need pitching to have success in Omaha. Hell, you need pitching to get to Omaha. So something's going to have to give with this pitching staff. Because Paul Skeens has been great. You know what you're going to get out of him night in and night out. Ty Floyd has come around in a big way. I know some people say, you know, one step forward, two steps back. I see that. But he's come a long way. You got Javen Coleman back. He's been good since he's returned. Christian Little is starting to, to come alive a little bit. Thatcher Hurd has struggled mightily. Mightily. And then there's Blake Money who, James, you remember at the beginning of the year last year, we were like, who is this cat? This guy's the real deal. And ever since then, he's fallen off the face of the earth. He had one bad outing. The yips took a hold of him, and he hasn't been the same since. He hasn't been the same pitcher since. you got to figure it out. Because offensively, this is one of the best offenses college baseball has maybe ever seen. Might be the best offense ever constructed. But if the pitching's not there, it's all for nothing. By the way, Tommy White continues to lead the country in RBIs. 71 now on the season. The next closest SEC player is... Jack Coglione from Florida. He is at 65, which is good for seventh in the country thus far. Again, that game at 630 tonight before they head to the Plains of Auburn for a three-game set with the Tigers this weekend. Figure out your pitching and go from there if you're if you're LSU. Because again, like I said, your offense is going to be there. Now, when looking at LSU's lineup for this evening, you have to imagine that Dylan Cruz is going to be in the three-hole because that's where he's been the last couple of 
games for them, and that's where he's had a ton of success. Tommy White in the three-hole. I mean, Dylan Cruz in the three-hole, Tommy White in the four-hole. Don't go away from that. If you're LSU, do not go away from that. Once you find what works, keep it rolling. Hayden Travinsky should probably become the everyday catcher. His bat's too hot right now to leave the lineup. Paxton Kling has come come around as of late. Jared Jones is still doing great things as a freshman. Jordan Thompson has been great. Trey Morgan has been really good. Cade Beloso has come around. You're getting production from up and down the lineup. You're getting production from your backups. Figure out a way to get consistent pitching. And that's going to go a long way for you. It really will. The Astros will play the San Francisco Giants tonight in a 7-10 first pitch. 6-40 Astro launch. Once again, News Talk 98.5. Hunter Brown will go for the Astros, who is currently rated as the third best rookie in baseball. He's 3-0 on the year with a 2.37 ERA. He's got 32 strikeouts. He's walked 10. He's given up zero home runs. And for the Giants, it'll be Anthony Descalafani. 2-1 and one on the season with a 2.70 ERA in 30 innings. He has struck out 27, walked 3, and given up 4 home runs so far on the season. The Astros line up against him. Dubon, Bregman, Alvarez, Abreu, Tucker, Pena, Jolks, Diaz, Myers. And then for the Giants, Wade Jr., Estrada, Peterson, Conforto, Flores, Sabal, Bart, Wisely, Stevenson. One more quick thing, James, before we take a timeout. Colin Coward released today a top 10 list of the best teams in the NFC. And I am just going to say that it is borderline laughable what, what, he, is, what he has put out. So what I'm this is the this is the list. We'll start at number one, it's the Philadelphia Eagles. That's fair. At number two, San Francisco 49ers. Once again, that's fair. Three, Seattle. Eh, I disagree, but okay. At four, Dallas. At five, the Rams. Newsflash, the Rams were horrible last year horrible so let's continue number six Detroit that's that's okay I I don't know that I'd put them at six but that's that's okay at seven Minnesota I would have probably had them higher after the year they had last year but okay at number eight it's the Giants at number nine it's the Packers who have an unproven quarterback, but sure, they're top 10. That's fine. And then number 10, this is the part that I look at and go, you've got to be kidding me. The Carolina Panthers. What have they done? 
other than trading up to get the number one overall pick and taking Bryce Young. What have they done? They were god-awful last year. They were god-awful the year before. So bad that they paid their coach $10 million to leave. This is laughable, James. I mean, look, I'm not trying to be a homer, but you can't tell me that if this is a list of teams right now, you can't tell me that the Saints aren't in the top 10. Now you understand why I don't pay attention to what Colin Coward says or does. Like, this is, this is, and to make it worse, he had Nick Wright on with him. Oh, Nick Which, that, that bozo. Oh, those those two are one of a kind dynamic duo. Look, that's fine. If you want, if you want to, if you want to paint the Saints as an underdog, go for it. That's fine. But just remember, people in New Orleans keep receipts. Five thirty-two, almost five thirty-three. We'll take a timeout. We're going to the moon next to talk about the Houston Astros right here on the game. This is crunch time on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. FanDuel is the only sportsbook app where you can bet the Kentucky Derby, and that's happening this Saturday. And right now, all customers can get a no-sweat derby bet up to $20. That means you'll get up to $20 back if your win bet doesn't win. I'm going to take confidence game at 30 to 1 odds to win the Kentucky Derby. There's great promotions every day. The app is safe and secure, and you're going to get paid instantly when your bet hits so bet on america's number one race this saturday on america's number one sportsbook just visit racing.fandle.com klwb for your chance for a no sweat derby bet up to 20 dollars this saturday for the kentucky derby that's racing.fandle.com klwb you must be 21 and older and reside in louisiana and permitted parishes only offer valid on first derby win wager verified fandle racing account is required Refunds issued in non-withdrawable racing site credit that expires on June 12, 2023. Restrictions apply. See, rate, see terms at racing.fandle.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. Fly me to the moon. That's driven deep to left center field. Garner is going back. Looking out. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Minkas and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is To the Moon on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Dez, are you ready to watch the diesel work tonight? <laughs> yes, sir. Absolutely. So let's talk about Hunter Brown for a second. I mean, 3-0, and a 2.37 ERA, and he's a damn rookie. I mean, the guy is just insanely impressive so far. Yeah, I mean, when you when the easy comps, right, the Justin Verlander stuff, right, his hero, he's from Detroit, he has a lineup just like him. But when you when you dig in the stats, he has a ground ball rate that's equivalent to Framber Valdez, and then he throws 98-99 fastballs up. You have a mixture of both worlds. And, I mean, to see this kid kind of blossom in front of our eyes, it's, it's, it's pretty damn sweet to see because for the longest time it was like Forrest Whitley, Forrest Whitley, Forrest Whitley, and Hunter Brown just put his head down and gone to work. And he's the guy. And you know what? You guys in a state that has uh, legal gambling, I may, I may take a little road trip over across the board to uh, put a little Hunter Brown uh, rookie of the year action on. 
as as you absolutely should. But you know, when you look at the Astros right now, sixteen and thirteen, eight and nine inside Minute Maid Park, the biggest thing that jumps out is the injuries to the rotation. Mm. Jose Arquiti goes on the fifteen day IL. Luis Garcia's on the fifteen day IL. You obviously still missing Lance McCullers Jr. Who who's gonna fill in the rotation? Yeah, I think Chandler Rome just had a tweet that they can roll roll with a four man rotation just the way that how the schedule is uh set up through at least May ninth, he said, and then they'll have to make a move. Um uh, but the last twenty four hours haven't been great. Uh Garcia going down in eight pitches, Yukiti going down, um when both have been Yukiti was rolling and then obviously Garcia over the last two starts has looked like he's he's found whatever he was, you know, needing to fix. So um that that sucks. So there's no way to put it, but uh, hopefully uh, JP France or, or Forrest Whitley get that call up uh, later on in the month if you know your Kitty and Luis are still on the shelf and, and they can show. Looking at a guy like JP France, do, do you think he's ready to maybe be with the Astros full time? Has he reached that point? Yeah, I think so. I think it's also a, a product of how good this team is and how this bullpen is. Um, I think JP, obviously, is a starter. He's stretched out, but I think he profiles better in the bullpen. But, look, he's 27, 28 years old. He's been in the minors for a while. He's been grinding. His numbers are great. Um, I, I've seen him pitch, and his stuff is electric. Um, I think he deserves his chance. Obviously, Forrest Whitley comes with everything that Forrest Whitley has done, right, or hasn't done. So, um, if I had to make a decision, it would be JP France. Now... Looking at the game tonight with the Giants, you won seven to three last night. How do you what what's it gonna take to get the offense to continue the production that that you had last night? Yeah, I think we just gotta tell the guys it's the seventh inning. It just seems like every every right. game the seventh inning rolls around and, and they wake up. And um I think we haven't seen this team kind of come together and show the offense the way we expect it to be, especially after last year. Um, but I'd rather the struggles now than in October. So I, I think over time we'll, we'll get there. Um, just continuing to put good good at bats together, string it, get it to the next guy, and hopefully Mauricio Dubon's coming up to the plate because that guy's on fire right now. Can you you brought up Mauricio Dubon three seventeen on the season, having a great start to the year from that leadoff spot. But after what I've seen over the last couple of days, can we get some more Jake Myers, please? Oh man! Look, I've I've sat there and worn some punches by saying I'm a Jake Myers guy. And look, Chaz Chaz is awesome. I love Chaz. He deserves to be in the lineup as well when he's healthy. But what we've seen over the last ten days with Jake Myers, it seems like it's pre-injury Jake Myers. Obviously, the arm is still coming along with the the post labor stuff, but it was it's confidence. And, and Chandler Rome had a great piece in the in the Athletic about how the coaches started talking through it through everything through his upstairs and got the mentals right and over the last 10 days he's he's making some really really good contact and then looking at another guy like with Corey Jolks nine RBIs so far on the year hitting 295 at the plate how important is it for for a guy like him to make an impact and kind of hang around this roster yeah I mean that guy's just a ball player at the end of the day like I, I, I've said it a million times on the internet I think mm-hmm. he's a, just a dang good baseball player. Um, obviously, he doesn't have the accolades and the prospect status like others. But, look, it's about producing at, at the major league level, and that's all he's been doing. And 
I, I think that at bat he had against the Braves where he came off the bench cold, uh, facing Minter, working the count, had some balls called his way that weren't necessarily strikes, and him getting that big base hit, I think that was just going to propel him. And, and to see him in the lineup, obviously with Brantley um, coming back soon and Chaz coming back soon, he may be the odd man out, but, man, he's been – He's been more than what we expected coming into the season, and that's just major props for him. Chatting with Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU. You've got tonight's game. You've got tomorrow afternoon's game. And then you go on a nine-day road trip where you're going to play six games against division opponents. You know, nine-game road trips are tough because guys get tired. Guys are away from home. You know, obviously sleeping in a new place every third night. What's kind of the mindset with with an early nine game trip like this, just to stay focused and locked in on the job at hand? Yeah, I think a lot of this is gonna, the guys bring their own juice, juice, and I think it that comes with the Seattle crowd to start it off. Um, Seattle's gonna be rowdy and, and and raucous after the sweep we had with them last year, and then this the other side of facing Otani and Trout right uh, on the West Coast after that. So. I think you bring your own juice and then figure it out on the on the Chicago series after that long trip, you know. But I don't know what happened on the scheduling there. Who did Seattle to L.A. to uh, Chicago? But I guess they're not big Astro people. Chandler Rome just posted that Little Wayne walked into the Astros clubhouse. What, what do you what, what do you think Little Wayne's doing hanging out with the Astros? Uh, if anything, it's probably something to do with Breggy, right? Because I mean, Breggy's got Breggy's got everyone coming into that locker room. That's pretty sweet. I didn't see that one yet, so I've always loved Little Wayne. He's obviously done a lot for the Houston rap scene as well as the Louisiana rap scene, so that's pretty sweet. Now, as we kind of wrap up, you know, Michael Brantley, Chaz McCormick, both on rehab assignments in the minor leagues. Getting Brantley back, not only from an on the field perspective but just from a leadership standpoint you know that's going to be critical as you await the return of Jose Altuve at the end of the month oh yeah I think Michael Brantley will be able to kind of anchor and lengthen this lineup but as well as intangibles of, of the leadership and, and the mentorship and everything that what Michael Brantley stands for I mean I don't think um, the story that when he chewed the team out about, hey, we're not letting this happen again in the World Series last year when they went down um, to the Phillies 2-1, um, gets told enough. I think that just is worth his contract in gold right there. And so um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see him work with the younger outfielders. Obviously, he's been taking some ground balls at first base down in Sugarland. So, um, and even then, he, he hasn't even played many games in Sugarland. He's been on the road traveling. So he's been he's been bumming it like, like back in the old days of, of you know bus rides and airplanes and in the minors, so I'm sure he's uh, itching to be back in Houston. Lastly, what have been your thoughts on, on the rest of the league? You know, you, you look at a team like the Padres, who, who have come along with a lot of offense. The Rays have been special to start the year. The Mariners have kind of declined a little bit. Uh, what, what have been your thoughts on the rest of the league? Yeah, I think um, you could you could really put the Mariners down in the in the basement if you want to with this upcoming series but around the around the league the Yankees in last the Cardinals in last the Pirates in first um I think we have the Pirates Rays going on right now that's been I guess a World Series matchup we all expected right and then uh the Padres getting Tatis Jr. back obviously he had the the PEDs and everything that went with that and then uh, looks like he's given life to that Padres team that looked kind of walking you know half dead for a while so it's been interesting to see how things shake out uh, the first month, and we'll start seeing 
um, the chess moves. Uh, obviously, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. And this this season, where everyone's playing everyone, and already you know everyone has a almost playoff spot. It feels like there's going to be uh, less trade, so and more people holding their holding their cards. So I'm really excited to see how that kind of unfolds. Apollo Des of Apollo HOU joining us here on the game hotline for To The Moon Tuesday. Des, appreciate you as always. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy some afternoon baseball tomorrow, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Absolutely. Talk to you guys later. And there he goes, Apollo Des of Apollo HOU. Real quick, the Miami Heat have ruled out Jimmy Butler for Game 2 tonight due to his sprained ankle. How is that going to change things with their game plan? Do the Knicks now tie up the series? It'll be interesting. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Also, LeBron versus Steph tonight at 9 o'clock. Quick update in baseball. Top of the first, Braves and Marlins tied at zero. Mets and Tigers tied at zero. And then the Pirates and Rays tied at zero. All three of those games still currently in the first inning. We'll take a timeout, wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Speaking of the Houston Astros, if you haven't seen the defending World Series champs in person yet, well, don't worry. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Oakland A's on Saturday, May 20th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans, Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station. As we begin to wrap up today's show, James, a baseball statistic that I found interesting, talking about LSU's offense and how good it's been. They currently rank 11th in the country in batting average. As a team, LSU is hitting 318 on the season. That's impressive. That's wild numbers. Uh, the leading school is VMI, which is hitting 338 on the season. Coastal Carolina, who just took two out of three with the Cajuns, hitting 313. The next closest SEC team to LSU is Florida at 21. They're hitting 309 on the season. Once again, LSU playing Southeastern tonight. We talked about the NBA earlier with Miami, New York, and then the Lakers and Golden State. NHL playoffs tonight. Florida, Toronto getting underway here in about five minutes. And then the nightcap, 8.30, Seattle and Dallas in the American Airlines Center. Earlier today, the Chiefs re-signed running back Jarek McKinnon and declined the fifth-year option on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. James... Does Clyde, a.k.a. Mighty Mouse, leave Kansas City after 2023? If they don't trade him beforehand. So you think he could be on the trade block this year? I think he's a potential if a team is looking for another running back because, I mean, with the running back position, because we've described it before as so replaceable, and if a team has an injury at that position, 
trade for Clyde, at that point you would get like a, what, a fifth round pick? Probably, maybe a fourth like, if a team needed them bad enough. Like you'd be getting a day three pick out yeah. of it. So it'd be extra ammunition for the next draft. And if you're making the run that you think you are, it's like it's a throwaway pick anyway, and you just get some extra depth in that room. So I think if he doesn't just get re-signed, I think this, there's a good chance that the Chiefs will trade him. The college football playoff has also announced the schedules for the 2024 and 2025 season. First round games will be at campus sites. The quarterfinals will be the Fiesta Bowl, Peach Bowl, Rose Bowl, and Sugar Bowl. The semifinals will be the Orange Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. And then the national championship game will take place on January 20th in Atlanta. And then in 2025, the quarterfinals will be the Cotton Bowl, Orange Bowl, Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl. Semifinals will be the Fiesta Bowl and Peach Bowl. And then the national championship game will take place again on the following January 20th in Miami. So the 2024 semifinals are set for January 9th of 2025 and January 10th of 2025. 12-team playoff is going to be very entertaining in the world of college football, and I'm interested to see how the games at campus sites are going to play out. That'll uh, bring tons of revenue to prospective universities. want to take this opportunity to thank our guest today, Mike Triplett, as well as Apollo Des of two, Apollo HOU joining us for To The Moon. Come back tomorrow, Who Dad Wednesday, with our guy Brendan Ertle, plus a very special guest that we're not going to reveal just yet. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well. Give a hug to your mom and them, and we're back tomorrow, 4 to 6, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Speaking of the Fighting Tigers of LSU, let's go to Hammond now and the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair.